0: Again, and welcome everybody back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 95. I'm of course Josh Burton. And join to me, joining to me tonight, if I could spit it out tongue-tied already in 2022, <laughs> is special guests with us tonight from the Facebook group. First, I want to introduce Phil Dexter. Phil, are you there with us?
1: Yeah, I'm here. Hey, what's going on, guys?
0: And then on the other end of the line, an OG of the group. We were just talking about this off air actually. Mr. Corey Gardner. Corey, how are you?
2: Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Just
1: happy to be here.
0: <laughs> That's right. Um, at least you guys didn't start off tongue tied like I did, trying to spit all that mumble <laughs> jumble out. <laughs> but not again, yet anyway. This, uh, yeah, this is. Epic. I was going to say,
2: I guarantee it's going to happen. It's just not happened yet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's, I keep telling myself every time before the show starts. Uh, make sure it's smooth make sure it's smooth the most of the time it is but every once in a while i get sped up and you know it's like somebody putting a full court press on you you tell yourself not to get sped up but before you know it you're you're flying down the floor you're like what the hell am I doing absolutely
2: absolutely
0: so anyways guys like I said this is episode 95 and we couldn't do this without our sponsor of Manscaped uh, Manscaped is obviously the leader in men's below the belt grooming hey guys We just turned the page to 2022. I know everybody likes to say new year, new me, right? Have a new year's resolution. Well, how about actually having a resolution for the men that they can keep and be proud of all year around? With manscaped.com, if you use the promo code ECB at checkout, you'll get 20% off of your purchase and free shipping worldwide. How about something like the products? You guys know how important it is men to take care of yourself. Grooming wise, good grooming habits lead to, you know, good times, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Um, But everybody likes the whole new year, new me. Like I said, 2021, 22 started the new year. Everybody's got these resolutions. Well, now's the time, men, to take your resolutions to a new high. And it's time to take care of yourself, especially those tricky parts below the belt. With this, this year take your package to the next level with their with the performance package 4.0 and brand new Ultra Premium body wash. Inside the performance package 4.0 you'll find the signature Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is designed to trim hair on loose skin. The advanced skin safe technology reduces cuts and nicks on your delicate nuts. It also comes equipped with a 4000k LED spotlight that will shine a light to the promised land 2022 looks to be. And just from experience, I'm telling you, it's it's weird at first, but that uh, that LED light comes in handy. And just a little side note there. A grooming routine isn't complete without applying Crop Preserver and the Crop Reviver before showing off your 2022 self. These unique formulations take care of the smelliest part of your body and are a big boost to your confidence into the new year. To complete the set, Manscaped threw in their Shed Travel Bag and Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs as free gifts to all your goodies stored comfortably. And the new product that needs no introduction, the Ultra Premium Body Wash from Manscaped solves all three for the perfect addition to your daily grooming routine, but in the shower. I shower every day and I hope you guys do as well because honestly, nobody wants to be a stinky person. This body wash smells great too. Trust me from experience, I just got my brand new set the other day and it is wonderful. Absolute phenomenal. Uh, It's cologne infused with aloe vera and sea salt to help Keep your skin feeling clean, nice, and moisturized. Kick discomfort and poor hygiene to the curb this year and use the best tools for the job. Whether your resolution is to work out more, travel to new places, be sure to travel to manscaped.com for exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping worldwide with the code ECB. Again, that's 20% off your entire purchase Plus, free shipping worldwide by going to manscaped.com using promo code ECB at checkout. Cheers to new balls in 2022. Fellas, tell me you got some manscaped on the way. Uh, I actually already
1: have some. (laughs) (laughs) Already taken care of, my man.
2: If that doesn't get you excited to do some grooming, I don't know what does.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm telling you, I said it since we, you know, began this sponsorship partnership with them and got the products and we did the whole review deal. My favorite thing of the whole deal is the um, crop preserver. Oh my God. The ball toner is nice, but the crop preserver just makes you feel nice and fresh down there. You can tackle the day. I don't know if you guys are like I am pick a shower at the beginning of the morning. If for the most part, yeah. put the little yes, stuff, put put some of the crop preserver on you're good to go for the rest of the day yeah it's
1: definitely a good way to start the day
0: so we're going to travel from one set of balls to the to the big orange round kind or I guess in some places big and brown um, let's talk to some college troops what we're here for Fellas, this week, I think this is the part of the season. It seems like every year around conference play, especially the start of conference play, is where we start to get a lot of the havoc. Normally non-conference, you'll have some of those marquee matchups, but you normally see a lot of teams come out of non-conference with maybe a loss, maybe two, depending how tough their schedule is or how good or bad they are. But normally conference play is where we really start to see a lot of the shakeup. We only have essentially from the power conferences, Baylor is the re- lone remaining unbeaten team. But this week is that week I'm talking about where everything went crazy. We had number two, three, six, 11, 13, 14, 15, 16, 20, and 25 all take L's this week inside the top 25. It's just that time of year because conference play, everybody knows everybody, and the scouting rant or you know ratchets up against everybody. What do we make of this? already starting because we're only essentially you know a week or two into everybody being in the conference play
1: um you know for me so far just the whole season has been plagued by inconsistency for pretty much everybody other than baylor to be honest with you i mean we've talked about alabama a couple times and they can be as good as anybody on anybody any night they can be as bad as anybody on anybody night and uh it's, it's just pretty crazy. I don't know if it has to do with the transfer portal. Um, you know, I'm not really sure what the situation is, but it doesn't seem like too many teams show up, you know, every night at all. say, I
2: think the biggest thing is you got to remember these are 18 to 22 year olds going out every night playing. And, you know, some nights they're going to be there. Some nights they're not. Some nights they're going to have the focus points. Other points they're going to lack. And it's like, you know, just the, the entire landscape of college basketball is, just, you know, you're, you always have the uh, couple teams that are, you know, sit there and run the show, you know, at times. It's like college basketball as a landscape is, you know, if you don't come out and play your best every night, there's somebody that's always has a uh, target on your back that's going to knock you off. And it's like, and just the entire atmosphere of, you know, home courts and, and things like that just play the factors big time, uh, you know, where, you know, nobody's safe, it seems like right now.
0: I think that's a fair point. Um, I think you both make good you know, fair points. I think a lot of it to do is again, um, a mixture of what you both said with it being younger players um, for the most part, you know, 17, 18 year old kids, even guys that are seasoned as far as juniors and seniors, they're still only 20, 21, 22 years old. That's still fairly young. And then you take it going back this year, we're back to full capacity at gyms. Uh, We've seen it where the home court advantage really means a lot again this year. Peyton and I talked about here so far at the beginning of the year with home court, And you're going on the road against a conference opponent that you're more than likely going to see twice throughout the year that have known you for a while. They have scattering points on you. And if you're a new player, they've got two months now to look over to see what you do and don't do well. So I think it's interesting. It just seems like it's always at least one or two weeks throughout the year where we have just a bunch of top 25 chaos. And this week we already have it. Let's start (laughs) at the top as far as rankings goes. Last night, as we record here on Sunday night, last night, Saturday night, number two Duke takes the L against Miami. Jim Laronega's club is now five and zero oh in the ACC, eleven and three overall after a kind of a sloppy start to their season. I love Jim Laronega as a coach. I thought he was tremendous at George Mason. I thought ever since he's been at Miami, he's been good. They've had a couple iffy years, but Duke drops now to two and one in conference, eleven. They are sorry 12 and two overall it's one of those ones nobody expects duke was the betting favorite for obvious reasons going in but again you're going to somebody else's home court they've won eight in a row prior to last night now on a nine game win streak what do we make of duke taking an l already
1: uh i mean the most impressive thing for me for miami is going into cameron indoor and doing that that's uh you know duke tends to have those one or two games even when they're good in ACC play that uh, they drop to sort of an unexpected opponent but very rarely at Cameron Indoor it's almost always on the road so for Miami to go in there and uh, play the way they did um, was super impressive I mean it wasn't like it was a fluke at the end either Miami outplayed them uh, the vast majority of the night Duke you know hung in there at the end and had their own opportunity to win but uh, yeah no Miami was awesome last night
0: and, and I stand corrected. You are right. I, I misspoke. I said it was at Miami. You're right. It was at Duke.
2: Absolutely. Uh, you know, guys came in, made you know, made the plays. And there's, there's times where games really don't look as close as what they were. And that's one, my opinion. Last night, the scoreboard showed it was a lot closer. But Miami just flat out, I think, kind of took control of that game in every aspect. And, uh, you know, they went in and got a, a huge win and uh, kind of set themselves apart early on in the uh, ACC
0: season you would think especially if a team like Miami is going to knock off Duke and Cameron uh your first reaction is that well they've hit a bunch of threes Miami actually oh sorry let me turn that down um Miami actually only hit four of 16 from three shot 25 percent from three but you got to give credit to a guy like Cameron McGusty played 38 minutes 14 points with some big plays down the stretch Isaiah Wong 15 points they put four starters inside double figures um, 30, re- did they out-rebound Duke Did 30? 30... Uh, no, oh, no, listen, Duke like, actually Duke no. actually killed him on the glass.
2: Yo, yeah, the biggest thing was the turnover differential. Uh,
1: yeah, I was just about to say that. Yeah, Duke could not hang on to the ball last night, uh, especially Wendell Moore Jr.
2: I was going to say, yeah, six turnovers right there, 17 in the game as a team. It's like it's hard to go and sit there and compete against anybody when, you know, you can't hang on to the ball.
1: It's, uh, it's pretty interesting to me that they don't run more of the offense through Bancaro. Um, I mean, he, he gets his shots throughout the game, but a lot of them are on putbacks, um, just offensive rebounds in general. They don't seem to trust the offense running through him very much at all. I'm just surprised that uh, Duke doesn't run more of the offense through Paulo Bancaro. Uh, I mean, he gets his shots throughout the game, but it's generally on a lot of putbacks, offensive rebounds, that kind of thing. Um, And the way Trevor Keels has been struggling lately, they got to do something else.
0: I'm glad you brought up Keels because against Kentucky, (laughs) night number one in the Champions Classic, he looked like a world beater. He looked like he'd be a top five pick in the NBA draft. Big, strong, physical. He looked like a running back in a point guard's body. And ever since then, he's not necessary. I mean, he's had some okay games. But he hasn't looked like that just world beater since then, and he's been really inconsistent. Um, against Miami, he ended up nine points. Only tuck. I mean, two of 11 from the field, one of six from three. He, had, he did it all of his free throws. But it's just it, – it's so inconsistent. Like, Moore's had a good year. Wendell Moore's finally had a good year as a junior. Paulo Bancaro, of course, does what Bancaro does. But if this team's going to have aspirations of cutting down the nets in Coach K's final year – Trevor Peels has got to be consistent.
1: Well, I think a lot of what you're seeing from him is, like you said, he has the body. I mean, somebody's still going to fall in love with his body in the NBA and probably draft him top 10 just because of the type of defender he is, Um, you know, strength, wingspan, all that stuff. But on the offensive end, there's just no consistency at all with his jump shot. Um, I mean, he should be able to get to the rim whenever he wants, and he just doesn't. So there's a mentality thing there, too.
0: Yeah, I'm there. I Trust me, I'm there with you, man. But good win for Miami. Love what Larenaga is doing. Like I said, leading the ACC conference right now at 5-0. and We're going to go over conference standings just here in a little bit because I think they're so wild. Um, some of these are crazy at the start of this conference play right now. Um, other games, number two goes down, we mentioned. How about number three, Purdue kicked off the week back on Monday night. Number three loses at home to Wisconsin. Number 23 ranked Wisconsin, 74-69. Johnny Davis, career high, 37 points in Mackey Arena. That dude is starting to separate himself now as a legit player of the year Canada is he not?
1: No, Absolutely. I mean, I – I don't know who else has played to that level as consistently as he has so far. There's no way he's not, at least in the conversation.
2: Absolutely. He's taking the shots. He's making the moves. He's doing whatever the team needs to sit there and set themselves apart. No matter what the competition-wise is, he's sitting there playing up. He's not playing anything down to sit there and, you know, have a night off. He's sitting there and making sure that he's playing up, you know, to his back some capability, and he's making himself a name to be known.
0: Um. Wisconsin 11 and 2, 2 and 1 in conference now, number 23 should be going up in the new rankings coming out tomorrow and Monday. Johnny Davis in this game in Mackey Arena, 13 of 24, 38 minutes for 37 points. Hits two only hits two three-pointers, shot 9 of 12 from the free throw line. 14 rebounds to go along with the career high 37 points. John, or Brad Davidson, uh the senior guard, 15 points. This Wisconsin team's a handful. They'll, they prefer to play at a slower pace. They've got shooters and now they've got a legit player of the year candidate, this Wisconsin team. I think we undervalued them in the preseason Peyton and I did, but Brad guards got himself another quality team. That's going to challenge for the big 10 this year.
1: I think I've seen a uh, crazy stat that Davis was like the first player in division one to lead his team in all five categories in a road win over a top five team since Tim Duncan yeah a lot of disclaimers on that one but (laughs) right (laughs) um but just a a crazy game overall yeah and he completely took over down the stretch too
0: oh big play after big play he is such a talented kid too because he's I think he's like 6'4 6'5 and so he's got good size from a guard spot he's one of those guards that can take you off the bounce. He'll whip you to the rim. He can hit jump shots and he can play about that 15, 16 foot, what I like to call the Kobe range where he can isolate you in that short corner, high block area, and just go to work. But anyways, Wisconsin, um, big time win at Purdue. fells where are we thinking about Purdue? Because I think that they, Prior to getting number one and up to getting the number one ranking in the country, um, I thought they were the best team in the land. I still think that they are a very, very good team. However, ever since getting that number one ranking, they lose the Rutgers. They've struggled in other ball games. We just seen it uh, the other night against Penn State. Struggled, get the win, but struggled. Lose the Wisconsin. Um, the Boilers, I still think they're super talented, but not quite the same form of dominance, I guess, ever since we, they got the number one uh, ranking in the country. Um,
1: it's kind of the same thing I was saying about Bankero with Duke, is I'm surprised more the offense doesn't run through Ivy. I mean, as great as Ivy is and as elite of an athlete as he is, which is kind of rare for Purdue to get, um, they do so much with uh, Zach Eadie and Travion Williams. Um, it's, it's kind of crazy to me.
0: Yeah. Um, I love Jaden Ivy. He's probably my favorite player. I've mentioned it on here before. He's probably my favorite player in the country to be, to watch. And I appreciate how athletic he is. He does remind me a lot of John Morant and the way he plays and kind of shifts and everything. But I seen, a, a, the question was posed on the Facebook group. What is Purdue, you know, should they put Ivy more at the point guard spot? And I think in certain situations, yes, but when you do that, that means Isaiah Thompson, and when he comes in, Eric Hunter Jr. is playing off the ball more. And I don't like them playing off the ball that much. I understand having Ivy with the ball in his hands, but I, I don't like the idea of having Hunter and Thompson have you know run the baseline screens or, or stand around at times and just be a dummy. I because they're the point guards. I think that those two are going to have to step their game up so you don't have to rely on Ivy to. <laughs> take command of the offense so much.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Um, but that, I mean, I guess that's sort of the dilemma that Purdue is in is that they, they are a great team, but does their talent quite mesh with each other enough to really make a deep run?
0: Well, here's the weird thing about Purdue ever since Matt Painter, and even back to Gene Katie for decades on decades, Purdue has been known for their defense and they're they've always they're good teams they've had good offense bad teams it's been mediocre or subpar this year they've got the number one rated offense in america um, on ken pom the number one adjusted offense in america however their defense is 66 i couldn't tell you the last time a purdue team especially a good purdue team like this has been outside the top 10 top 15 let alone the top 50 and adjust the defense so it's like they've Traded in, and they've went like, all right. Well, we'll we'll hit threes, and we'll spread our offense. We're pushing the ball this year. We're looking to get up and down tempo and all that good stuff. But I think they've sacrificed some of their defensive identity as well.
1: Uh, You're definitely right about that, and part of it too is as good as Zach Eady is on the offensive end, and you know, being seven four, he does give you an element of rim protection but he's just bad on defense. I mean, you've seen it in that Wisconsin game a few times where Wisconsin was isolating him in pick and rolls. Um, He's just, you know, he doesn't have a whole lot of agility. Um, And so if you get him moving, it's really tough for him to defend.
0: Completely agree. Completely agree. It worked against Villanova and um, North Carolina earlier in the year because Baycott wasn't really going to take off the bounce. Villanova didn't attack. With their, their small lineup, like I thought they would, because Edie was moving his feet so well. But now, since you got in a conference play, you got guys that are six, seven, six, eight, willing to take him off the bounce. And he, like you said, he's just slow in the rotation, trying to get to the rim. That's the reason he lost the starting spot. I know he had 24 in this game that we're talking about, but he lost the starting spot to Trayvon Williams because Williams gives you more on both ends of the floor. He's a better passer. Edie's just great on offense right now because he's so damn big. He posts up. He's got good footwork on the offensive end. Um, Absolutely. But, yeah, you're right. I think rotate lack of rotation foot speed is really hurting him right now on the defensive end.
1: I'm surprised Painter hasn't tried to go to more of more zone looks to just get him out of man um, and just, just get him in more of a rim protection role.
0: Yeah, just packed paint. I'm with you 100% on that. Almost what um, – Western Kentucky likes to do with their big man at times. Yeah. They'll go to a zone. You get, you know, break the zone down. They give up the – actually, Western gives up the middle a lot, that little high post area, because what are you going to do? You think you got the shot, but you shoot, and the kid's so damn long and big and athletic, he blocks your shot from underneath the rim.
1: That's exactly. you what Purdue
0: could honestly do and shrink the floor. Plus, in a zone, if you're that big and athletic like Purdue is – even if you just throw it a couple times, cause I know they live by their man to man, but you throw in a zone, but like on occasion to give a team a different look with your size and athleticism, a guy like Jaden Ivy can read passes. So well, a skip pass could end up turning into a, a highlight, you know, top 10 ESPN dunk for him on the other end.
1: Yeah. You literally just read my mind. That's exactly what I would say is Jaden Ivy would be jumping <laughs> passing lanes, like crazy in a zone. And you know, to your point about the high post, at the very least, he's going to be able to contest the shot. I mean, he's seven four. I think his wingspan is like seven eight, seven nine, something ridiculous. Um, so even if he doesn't block it, he's going to get a hand in the face.
0: And the thing I love, too, about having a big shot blocker, whether you play man or zone, is if you've got a rim protector or two, you know, as a back line, your guards can put more pressure on and take a little more chance because if they get beat, so what? You've got somebody to protect the rim. I actually think that's going to, that would help produce guards like Eric Hunter, like Isaiah Thompson, like Sasha Stefanovich, um, even a guy like Brandon Newman, Mason Gillis, all those guys, give them an opportunity to maybe put some extra pressure, take a couple gambles. If they get the steal. Obviously great. If not, it speeds the other team up. And then if they t- attack the rim, you got a shot blocker there.
1: Yeah, I totally agree.
0: Corey, there with us. I know you kind of hopped out for a second. You still there with us? He might just be on mute. Guys, Corey uh, is traveling back to South Carolina. He is a college baseball coach. So he will hop in and out with us as we go on. <laughs> but, anyways, Wisconsin big win over Purdue. Number six Kansas yesterday takes their first conference loss to a depleted number 25 Texas tech team. They lose 75-67. What a job Mark Adams has done taking over the red Raiders program.
1: Yeah, they have not missed a beat without Chris Beard. Um, And like you said, without their top two scorers yesterday, uh, they were really good, but part of me wonders what happened with Kansas. We've talked about inconsistency and, you know, transfer portal and young guys, Kansas is about as veteran a team as there is in the country. Um, And, Christian Brown just didn't show up at all yesterday. I mean he had 10 points ten, yeah he had 10 points but he had eight of them within a minute span I think with under three minutes to go um so he was basically non-existent the whole game he had that great steal and dunk but other than that he was gone and then um Abaji was in foul trouble
0: yeah he ended up with uh four personal fouls Obagi was great he's been great all year we talked about Johnny Davis Obagi's another player of the year candidate really turned it on his senior year um Jalen Wilson had 20 I know he's starting to get back in the groove of things um you know coming off of an injury from last season everything but 20 points good but he still had he had four turnovers himself um uh, I guess you got to take the good and the bad with him. But as everybody else, uh, Obaji 24, Braun, um, 10, and Wilson, 20. They got two from Harris, five from Jalen coleman lands, which I was disappointed in him. McCormick, four, and Remy Martin, two. I think Peyton and I have talked about in the preseason. We've talked about so far earlier in the year. Remy Martin has not been a good fit thus far for Kansas. I know he's had some good moments. But I thought coming over from Arizona State, it would be a bad fit for him at Kansas, as I've mentioned prior, because at Arizona State, he was the guy. I know last year he had Josh Christopher, but he was the guy putting 30 at because he could take 30 shots. At Kansas, he's got to be more of a true point guard, and he's been half in, half out. He has games where he looks to, you know, he'll get 10 assists, but he's only taken five shots. Then he has games where he tries to take 12 shots, but only has two assists and five turnovers. He's half in, half out. He's got to figure out what he does best and implement that a little bit more. If not, I, I think Kansas can be Final Four good. I don't think they can win a title that way, though.
1: Well, and you would really expect Kansas to be more physical than Texas Tech, but Texas Tech outscored them 44-18 in the paint and out-rebounded them 33-24, to so that was not the case at all either.
0: Yeah, and with McCormick, only four points in 14 minutes. Uh, he did have six defensive rebound or six boards total. You know, as a senior, he's been there for a while. I know he's not in the starting lineup anymore. However, Kansas's bread and butter, ever since Bill Self has been there, has been their high low action. He loves two bigs for a high low action. And if McCormick's not playing well and Lightfoot's not playing well and they're not scoring, I know you got your guards in your backcourt like Obaji and Braun and Wilson and Harris and all of them, but if Kansas is great, it's because they have great front court players, and if Ma- uh, McCormick and Lightfoot aren't giving that to them again, how far can Kansas go?
1: I mean, I think they just showed it here. Uh, Abaji had a great game. I mean, I think he was six from nine, six for nine from three. Um, he, he was knocking down everything. Now, granted, we talked about it, he was in foul trouble, so he wasn't. I think he still ended up with like thirty-five minutes. So I'd have to double check.
0: Yeah, right here, I got it right. Thirty-five.
1: Um, so, I mean, it's not like he didn't play a good portion of the game, but he was just, he wasn't able to be as aggressive as he normally would have been worrying about taking some of those fouls. Um, another interesting, Kansas has lost five in a row on the road to ranked teams. Um, obviously it's tough to go on the road and beat a ranked team, but, uh, that's, that's not a, a good stat for them.
0: No, God, No um again we talk about another upset where if you told me Kansas hits 10 threes and Texas Tech only hits four you think Kansas wins comfortably in this game but again the the points in the paint the physicality we know Tech's identity you know it was built off Chris Beard's physicality defending um, being tough-minded and it's carried over I seen a stat earlier before we started recording Mark Adams and just, what, 14 games now as Texas Tech head coach has got more top 40 wins than Chris Beard's got in the last two years. <laughs> is that crazy or not? Like, that's so crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you consider the reputation Chris Beard has built, um, granted, I, I don't want to say that that's not deserved because Chris Beard's a great coach, but a lot of that reputation is built off the final or the uh, national championship game. Or right. Or
0: right. I love people have heard me for years state how much I really love Chris Beard as a head coach. I think he's tremendous. Um, But you know, you had to wonder too, right? Because he leaves tech goes to Texas. He takes a couple guys with him. Um, You wonder about tech, what they have and all they're doing now is 11 and three ranked in top 25 and just knock off Kansas. It's, it's life on conference play, I guess.
1: The uh, Big Twelve is surprisingly good as well. I mean, we've talked, or we're going to talk a little bit later about the conference standings and stuff. But uh, I'm surprised at how good the middle of the Big Twelve has been.
0: Yeah, they. uh, We thought we predicted the beginning of the year in our preseason predictions and conference look aheads. We knew Kansas. We knew. Well, we thought Texas. They've been disappointing in a way. They've still not got a marquee win this year. But we thought Kansas, Texas, Baylor would be good. We kind of figured Texas Tech would be okay. Um, but that was really about it. We thought it was a three-team race between Texas, Baylor, and Kansas. But, man, it's looking like it's going to be, you know, Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma, let's go right to them. We will not spend a lot of time on them because there's a couple other games I want to spend more time on. But number 11, Iowa State loses to Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a program that Lon Kruger done a tremendous job rebuilding that program, making them a consistent NCAA tournament team, goes to a Final Four about five years ago now, six years ago, I guess now it's been that long with Buddy Heald and them, and leaves the program in great hands when they hired Porter Mosier to come in from Loyola Chicago, and all they do now is carry his identity, he came over from Loyola, they're tough, they defend despite losing a guy like Davion Harmon to Oregon and other pieces, Brady Manick to North Carolina, Oklahoma knocks off number 11 Iowa State, which Iowa State's been a nice surprise too this way this year too TJ Olsherburger. They have no expectations and they're a top 10 team early on. But Oklahoma, that's the program. I think everybody in the Big T- Big 12 and the rest of the country need to keep an eye on over the next 3 to 4 seasons. Cause once Porter starts getting some high profile recruits, as far as like high three stars, four stars, and maybe the occasional five star with his brand of basketball, Oklahoma is here to stay.
1: Well, and I think it's telling about how he views that program that that's the job he held out for. Cause he turned down quite a few jobs over the past two years um, before he took that one. And I mean, some good jobs. So he clearly saw that there was something there to be built. Um, and, you know, they're sort of along the same obviously their records much better but they're the same uh, along the same lines as Oklahoma State We're just at their best they are they're as good as anybody in the conference. I mean I haven't seen I'd have to look at Iowa State schedule but I don't think anybody's gotten close to 80 on them. Iowa State plays great defense. Um, so for Oklahoma to put 79 on them is super impressive.
0: Let's take a look Iowa State here Iowa State. Yeah. Um, again, it, it's that brand of basketball that Porter Moser brings. He didn't make a final four for no reason at Loyola Chicago. Yeah, um, Iowa State. The high they Baylor's gave the eight. closest. They at gave seventy-seven. A, yeah. Um, really? Wow. Baylor's. But everybody
1: else, they've kept in the fifties, sixties. Yeah, they've been amazing on defense. I'd have to look at their Ken Palm.
0: Pull it uh, up they are sixth in defense yeah iowa state is sixth and are you you're talking about iowa state right yep yeah they are sixth in the country in defense and ken pom uh 146 in offense but yeah that's it's a good solid win for oklahoma and that program is only going to go up they look like the part of a tournament team as long as they don't they've just like everybody else in the middle of the road of these power conferences you beat the top tier teams you just can't lose to the likes of kansas state
1: <laughs> we're going to talk about that a lot with a lot of these teams today because uh I mean, every, almost everybody's taken a bad loss at this point.
0: Essentially. Yeah. Um, all right, let's start rapid firing some of these other knockoffs, uh, stay in the big 12 real quick. Number 14, Texas loses Oklahoma state, a team that is not eligible for the tournament. They got beat by 13. Texas has all the talent and potential in the world, but they've just not gelled. I thought this would be a top five team nationally all year and they've not got a single marquee win. I don't know. Um, I think Texas along with Michigan are two of my more disappointing teams in college basketball this year.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I mean, they're still ranked, but I think that's based just on the fact alone that they started out in the top five. Um, Like you said, they have no marquee wins. I feel like they're going to be one of those teams that we see at the end of the year. Who's going to, they'll be in the tournament. They'll probably end up with a top five seed again, just based on where they started the season. But It would not surprise me at all to see them eliminated in the first weekend of the tournament.
0: And you know as as well as I do that, as crazy as the tournament gets, that a team with that much talent, like a Timmy Allen, um, you got a guy like Devin Askew coming off the bench, Marcus Carr, um, et cetera, et cetera. That's a team that's legit eight or nine deep. They could be bad all year as far as their expectations go and getting the tournament as a seven, eight seed and end up making a run to the final four still. They can just click for six games. I mean, you know how it goes.
1: Well, that's just how like you said Marcus Carr is I mean, he was terrible in that Oklahoma State
0: game. He's I think he been he, not,
1: he, was, he's he been one so for six.
0: Dis- he's been so oh. disappointing this year. We all thought coming from Minnesota, he was a walking double-double from a guard. Yeah. He led Minnesota in rebounds last year.
1: And I, th- I think part of it, again, we t- we've talked – I don't want to bring up the transfer portal, transfer portal a million times, but Texas brought in so many transfers that there's just not a whole lot of continuity there, yep. and you're, you're really seeing it on a night-to-night basis with them.
0: Yep. I've got Wisconsin on the background, and uh, they're, playing at, they're playing at Maryland. They're currently up 29-15 to 15 on the road with five to go in the first half. <laughs> I mean, they're just suffocating teams right now. Um, other teams inside top 25, though, that we were talking about. Alabama takes a bad loss yesterday on the road, loses to a bad Missouri team 92 86. The tide. I, I said to a, uh, some North Carolina people in the Facebook group yesterday after their big win against Virginia that North Carolina is like Jekyll and Hyde. Good North Carolina beats, you know, can, can beat and compete with anybody in the country. Bad North Carolina loses to a team like Boston College. Well, Alabama is the same. They've got wins over Gonzaga. And who was their other marquee win? I just went blank. Houston. Uh, Houston. Thank you. That's right. Houston's only lost. They, they've got wins over Gonzaga and Houston. And I'm not going to fault the Iona lost them because Iona with Rick Patino, they're, they're a tournament team, but then you turn around and lose to a bad Missouri team. Uh, Memphis beat you. And I know Memphis has got talent, but they weren't playing great at the time. It's, I, I can't explain it. I don't understand.
1: I definitely think you could argue that that Missouri loss is the worst loss that the top 25 team has had this year. Um, I mean, Missouri had been atrocious so far this season. Uh, I, everybody was saying that they were the worst team in the SEC. And to lose that game is just
0: unexcusable. Yeah, it, it was bad. I mean, and you gave, you gave up 92. It's like the thing about Alabama's team last year. Their offense was dynamic, right? John Petty, um, you had all your guys that could light them up. Javon Quinterly when he was playing, and he's playing well this year as well. But they had a top-10 offense and a top-10, top-15 defense. This year, they're 59th in defense. They've kept the offense. They're still eighth in Ken Palm. But 59th in defense, that's the big deal. They're not defending as well as they were a year ago. They've got games already this year where they've given up 88. Um 82, 82, and now 92. That's not recipe of what Alabama put down last year to be a a top two seed. So, and looking at Alabama's upcoming next four games, Auburn at home, Mississippi State on the road. Despite State's record, they're still dangerous. LSU at home, and then they get the return to Missouri. Those next three especially, Auburn, Mississippi State, and LSU is going to be very telling of how Alabama goes from the rest of the year, I think.
1: Well, like you said, it really wasn't anything to do with their offense. They they hit nine threes, shot 37% from three. Um, Just part of, you know, the pace they play at is that it's going to be a little tougher to defend people, but I mean – they got to figure something out.
0: Actually looking at, let's say their next month worth of games, we're going to tell a lot of Alabama because they got Auburn, Mississippi State, LSU, Missouri, Georgia. Those should be wins, but we've already seen Missouri. And then the end of January, first part of February, consecutive games. Baylor at home, Auburn in the return away, and then they're playing home to Kentucky. What a three-game stretch that is.
1: There will be very few easy stretches in the SEC this season.
0: I think we'll get to conference standings here in just a little bit, but I, I, for my money, the SEC is the best conference in college basketball this year. I totally agree. Staying in the SEC, this one was near and dear to my heart for various reasons. I went on my rant and everything. I'll try not to go over it again, but <laughs> – Six, <laughs> 16 Kentucky loses to number 21 LSU at home. LSU's got the number one defense in college basketball. They followed that up last night, beating Tennessee's ass, just really dominating the Vols. Um, Phil, I'll let you start because I've already said my piece. I thought that if, I never, every, for the last four years, people know me. When Kentucky's good and deserves praise, I'm the first one to give them praise. Equally, I've given them so much shit last year. I spent so much time railing on how bad they were disappointing years past. So I'm very fair in my mind, uh, you know, when they're good and deserve it, I give it to them when they're bad and deserve it. I give it to them. And when officials, I never, I make a point to never blame officials unless they absolutely deserve it. In my mind on Tuesday night in Baton Rouge, the officiating was a zero out of a 10. That was so bad.
1: Yeah, no, it, it was I – th- I know you made a post in the group about it, but it was inexcusable. I mean, at a cert- certain point, it's not even blaming the officials. You just – you you want the game to be officiated as closely as possible, and it was just – there's no way to say it other than it was bad. And I think anybody that would try to defend it is just – I mean, I don't know what game they were watching.
0: Yeah, it, people are going to look at this and be like, well, oh, so you had more fouls. It was 20 to 15. I'm not saying Kentucky got the raw deal of everything. LSU had some bad calls on them as well. I'm not going to be the first one to say it was all against Kentucky, but the calls against Kentucky were atrocious. They were, they were so bad. And the first half set basketball back because neither team really scored the ball at all. It felt like in the first half. Then the Cats come out and just start lighting it up from three. Kellen Grady's one of my favorite shooters to watch in college basketball this year. Um, and got to keep in mind, Severe Wheeler goes down four minutes into the game. Kentucky's without their point guard. They looked real shaky. However, they held it together. LSU credit to them. They ended the game on a 21 to, well, they got the lead there for a while. They went on like an eight minute stretch where they stretched out. They would go to a 21 to five run after going down and losing the lead. Kentucky furious rally at the end wasn't enough. Had a chance. Oscar Sheba steals the ball and throws it away. And then LSU gets it and dunks it and whatever. But for me, looking on the bright side, Kentucky, without their two best point guards, or their two top guards, and Severe Wheeler and Ty Ty Washington, their two point guards, because Washington was limited there late, especially with cramps. They only lose by five, despite fouls being a tremendous issue in this game. Oscar Sheway barely played in the first half, and they still only lose by five to the number one ranked defense in college basketball. I think that says a lot about the Cats. You can call me the homer. I'm going to give it the floor to you because you're not a Kentucky fan. But I still think this Kentucky team was dangerous, even in defeat.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. I mean, I'm not a Kentucky fan, but I get this is the last thing I'll say about the officiating. There was zero consistency in the officiating. So it was it was even hard for the players to adjust to it um, because you just didn't know it was going to be called. But I mean, there's no such thing as moral victories in college basketball. We all know that. Losing by five on the road in a conference game. And as you said, severe Wheeler goes down early in the game. Um, Ty Ty Washington was extremely limited. I mean, he shot two for nine, one for three from three. Um, He was able to run the offense a little bit, but even that, you know, he, he just wasn't his normal self. Um, Yeah, no, that that's not a bad loss by any means.
0: No. And uh, the bad loss, we thought the cats had taken this year at Notre Dame turns out they've won six of seven. They've now won six of seven and starting to play a lot better. So you look Kentucky's three losses, none of them at home, they lose to Duke. We know how good Duke is. They lose at Notre Dame, Notre Dame again, winners of six of the last seven starting to turn it on. Could have been seven of seven. They gave Indiana a game. And now at LSU, the number one ranked defense in college basketball, they just throttled Tennessee at home, who everybody thinks is so much good or so much better in Kentucky. Some people do. And, so those three losses aren't bad losses, but I do understand you got to win games on the road. They don't have necessarily a marquee win unless Carolina starts playing like it. But um, yeah, I think the cats are going to be all right. I think anybody calling them overrated or however, eh, maybe a little jaded at this point, but that's people's opinion. I suppose but LSU on their end, number one ranked defense. They've got a very good and experienced team. Darius Day, Xavier Pence in the of uh, the Missouri transfer, Efton Reed, big time shot blocker down low. This team gets after you. No wonder they've got the best defense. Um, They're allowed to hold and push, but despite all that, they've got shot blockers at the rim and they've got guards who will flat pick your pocket and pick you up uh, 94 feet. This is a dangerous LSU team. I just wonder about their consistency a little bit. Um, When they finally play a great offense that gets rolling, can they produce enough offense themselves to get back? the highest they've put up this year, they did put up one oh one against uh Louisiana Monroe, but on the season they're 77th in offense in the year. They're shooting 32% from three. So what happens when they find themselves against an offense like an Auburn, for instance, right? Or Alabama, somebody who's not wilting under the pressure and lighting them up, can they play from behind? I guess we'll have to find out.
1: Yeah, I was pretty impressed with them against Tennessee last night. Um I expected Tennessee to show up a little bit more on the offensive end, uh, but like you said, it's just—it's going to be – the SEC is just a murderer's throw of good teams right now. You you have to go through Auburn, Alabama, Kentucky. Georgia's a decent team. Mississippi State's a decent team. um, Don't sleep in Ole Miss. Ole Miss. uh, Texas A&M is starting to show up and play some pretty decent ball. There's not an easy win in the conference right now.
0: Not at all. Um, This is the first time in about, I don't know, 20 years that the conference has been number one in basketball, but it's loaded this year. And I forgot LSU's only loss happened uh, a week ago to Auburn. Auburn actually beat them 70-55. So I think that shows the quality of Auburn, that Auburn team. But LSU, yeah, good win for them. Despite everything, they still found ways. They hit some shots there late. uh, Efton Reed – was it Reed or – no, I'm sorry, Day's – Hits a couple threes there. Uh, the stretch the lead there during that twenty one five run. LSU's a handful. They're big, they're physical, and they defend. And any team defends, we've seen it with Virginia over the years, and uh, even Villanova's title team. Everybody thought, you know, they looked at the offense, but their defense was super underrated. So defense is always going to keep you in ball games and win you games. So
1: say what you will about Will Wade, but LSU has always been a very physical team since he's been there.
0: Yeah, he carried that over from VCU. You watch his VCU teams. They were the same way. I think they just pressed a little bit more than what these LSU teams do, but the same dynamic. Um, Other ones, real quick, number 20, Colorado State, loses San Diego State by a lot. Colorado State was one (laughs) of the last three unbeaten teams going into last night. San Diego State throttles them, 79-49. I love this Colorado State team. I think San Diego State's really good. I love the fact that this year, the quote-unquote mid-major, there's going to be a lot of quality teams coming out of mid-majors. You look at Colorado State, San Diego State, BYU. I'm not even considering Gonzaga anymore, but St. Mary's. There's a lot of quality mid-major teams this year that can make
3: some noise in the tournament. Everything College Basketball listeners, what's going on? It's Conrad Cushman from Everything Pro Wrestling. Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans for the fans and i'm here to let you know how you guys can catch up on all the latest and greatest in the world of pro wrestling you guys can go to youtube.com type in everything pro wrestling give us a subscribe We are over a 1,000 subscribers now, and we have achieved a YouTube partnership. If you guys want to be in the live chats, come on in, join us, and talk pro wrestling. We record AEW Dynamite every Wednesday. We also talk about WWE, Ring of Honor, Impact Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and your local indies, and much, much more. So make sure you guys are subscribed to everything pro wrestling. You can also listen to the podcast on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, all the live streams are transferred right onto there, but enough of me talking about pro wrestling. Let's get you back to listening to everything college basketball
0: or Alabama. Somebody who's not wilting under the pressure and lighting them up. Can they play from behind? I guess we'll have to find out.
1: Yeah, I was pretty impressed with them against Tennessee last night. Um, I expected Tennessee to show up a little bit more on the offensive end, uh, but like you said, it's just, it's going to be, in, the SEC is just a murderer's throw of good teams right now. You, you have to go through Auburn, Alabama, Kentucky. Georgia's is a decent team. Mississippi State's a decent team. Um,
3: Don't sleep you know, in AS, Ole Miss.
1: Ole Miss, uh, Texas A&M is starting to show up and play some pretty decent ball. There's not an easy win in the conference
0: right now. Not at all. Um, This is the first time in about, I don't know, 20 years that the conference has been number one in basketball, but it's loaded this year. And I forgot LSU's only loss happened uh, a week ago to Auburn. Auburn actually beat them 70-55, so I think that shows the quality of Auburn, that Auburn team. But LSU, yeah, good win for them. Despite everything, they still found ways. They hit some shots there late. Uh, Efton Reed, was it Reed or Day? No, I'm sorry, Day's. Hits a couple threes there. Uh, the stretch the lead there during that twenty-one-five run. LSU's a handful. They're big, they're physical, and they defend. And any team defends, we've seen it with Virginia over the years, and uh, even Villanova's title team. Everybody thought, you know, they looked at the offense, but their defense was super underrated. So defense is always going to keep you in ball games and win you games. So
1: say what you will about Will Wade, but LSU has always been a very physical team since he's been there.
0: Yeah, he carried that over from VCU. You watch his VCU teams. They were the same way. I think they just pressed a little bit more than what these LSU teams do, but the same dynamic. Um, other ones, real quick, number 20, Colorado State, loses San Diego State by a lot. Colorado State was one <laughs> of the last three unbeaten teams going into last night. San Diego State throttles them, 79-49. I love this Colorado State team. I think San Diego State's really good. I love the fact that this year, the quote unquote, mid-major, there's going to be a lot of quality teams coming out of mid-majors. You look at Colorado state, San Diego state, BYU. I'm not even considering Gonzaga anymore, but St. Mary's there's a lot of quality mid-major teams this year that can make some noise in the tournament.
1: Yeah. I mentioned that Iona, another good one. Um, Some teams in the SOCON that are, are really, really good. Uh, I, and I, I think part of that again, as, as guys transferring out, you know, you got a guy like Kellen Grady who leaves, what was it? Davidson. Davidson
0: 2000 point yeah. score.
1: Yeah. leaves Davidson um, and was the guy there for, you know, three, four years. And now he's just trying to move on up and, you know, play somewhere that he may have a chance to win a championship. And so you're seeing some of these, uh, some of these other mid majors, you know, having guys that are just having to step up and are doing it so far. It's, it's been really impressive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's go into the conference. We keep alluding to it. I'm just wanting to get into it. You look at the AAC, obviously the Houston Cougars are the favorite to win that conference, probably by a couple games, especially since Memphis is so up and down, up and down talent wise. Memphis should be in stride with them, especially considering Houston is without their two best players for the rest of the year. Um, But they keep finding ways to win. Houston is atop the AAC right now. You look at a team like Tulane, I mean, it's fool's gold right now because they're three and one in conference, but they're six and seven overall. I think if you look at the AAC, they've got obviously Houston. Memphis just went to Cincinnati and beat Cincinnati today. Cincinnati started off hot but they have kind of slowed down I do like West Miller the higher I think he will get Cincinnati back on track over the next couple of years Wichita State not that good um, man this is looking I hate to say it this is almost looking like a one-bid league right now
1: yeah I was a little surprised at how close Wichita State kept it with uh, Houston yesterday um, but like like you said Houston is down some of their uh or two, their two best players, two top scorers, I think, yeah. that were going into the game. Um, and, I mean, it ended up being a 76-66 game, but if you watched that game, um, I, I won't say Houston was ever in danger of losing, but it was a pretty tight game, and they ended up pulling it out with about three minutes to go.
0: Yeah, the AAC's shown fl- outside of Houston. They've shown flashes. Remember, UCF's had a couple decent wins on the year. Cincinnati, I mentioned, they started off good. I mean, they're still 11-5, and five, but... Can they really put that type of resume together in AAC unless they sweep or beat Houston at least once? I don't know. Wichita State. Memphis is really the only hope, I think. I think if the AAC wants another legit team in the tournament this year, Memphis is going to have to start playing up to their potential. They've won three in a row, but it's still one of those teams. We talked about they beat Alabama. I really had them pegged that they were going to beat Tennessee had COVID not canceled that game. I like how they're playing. Then they come back and lose though. They turn around and lose to whoever it was. UCF or whoever it was. I forgot who beat them, but it's it's like they play good against good teams for a stretch and then they will lose a couple bad games and before you know it at the end of the year they're sitting here at 19 and 12. And I'm like they've got too much talent for this.
2: Yeah, I was so awesome. Oh god. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, I was just gonna say their one losses to two lane and there's a one point game, but it's like the only way that that comes a you know two birth team or conference is if Memphis sits there comes on some kind of run, puts it together at the end of the year, and sits there and does something, you know, in the play or in the conference turning, there's no chance right now.
0: Memphis Peyton and I mentioned this in the last, you know, over the start of the year so far. Memphis and Louisville are so much alike. They both have Dynamic, explosive, top 10 quality defenses, but cannot put a ball in the basket to save their life. They've got great defenses and horrendous offense, and it blows my mind with the quality of talent that's at both programs, especially Memphis, if they can't devise some kind of offensive. When you have Larry Brown on the bench as an assistant associate coach and you can't have better offense with talent like uh, Jalen Duran and Amani Bates and experienced guys like Lester Canones who can shoot the ball. Um, something's wrong.
1: Yeah. I'm curious what you guys think. Cause I just don't know what the answer is for them. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to degrade Penny Hardaway cause I actually think Penny Hardaway is a good coach. Penny Hardaway obviously knows basketball um, hell of a recruiter, but they like, there's no reason with the guys they have on the court that they shouldn't be able to get a bucket whenever they want. And there are games where they go stretches where they cannot buy a bucket.
0: You've watched them just like I have and Corey, the same way. There's times when they play defense and they're suffocating the ball and turning teams over and they're looking like highlights out there. That is their offense because when they have to play in the half court, it's just pass try to dribble and break somebody on 1v1 while other four players stand around. And then if that doesn't work late in the shot, clock, maybe run a single high ball screen out and take a bad shot. That's their offense every time they're forced to play a half court game. I mean,
1: yeah, it's it's basically an AAU offense.
0: That's exactly what it is. Except for this guy, except for an AAU, guys like Amani Bates were so much better than the kids who were playing that you could go 1v1 all the time. This, you're playing against, even if you're better than a dude, you're playing against some grown men in college that know how to defend, know positional defense, cut your driving lanes off, you know, turn you into jump shooters, schematically coaches will devise plans against them. And why was Penny playing, trying to force Samani Bates as a point guard? I have no idea. I have no idea.
1: We're, we're starting to get to the point where you have to wonder if it's if it was a mistake for Amani Bates to reclassify. Um, and I mean, you could say the same thing for Duran too, to be honest, but neither of them look particularly ready to even play college basketball, let alone onto the NBA
0: after the year. It's a big jump. Every all these top kids think that they're ready. Even Chet Holmgren's had obviously more success than Amani Bates and them has um at the college level so far but even times you've seen him where he's faded away because he's not strength wise ready you almost wonder I'll pose the question to both of you let me know what you think Omani Bates stays at his recruitment with Michigan State he's currently playing with Tom Izzo in that ball club right now yes or no his stats are far better than what they are right now
1: um I I think they're better but again I think it's it's pretty clear that he probably should have stayed in his uh, normal class and taken the extra year of high school. He's, he's physically not quite ready. Um, he could use 10, 15 more pounds. Um, he, he would definitely be better. Tom Izzo would find ways to get in baskets. But um, I still, I just think he should have stayed in high school another year.
2: I agree. I think, I think going to Michigan State, Tom Izzo is just a master of this game. And just a master of getting guys in the right position. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think you guys are both correct, though. Imani Bates is nowhere near ready for the college basketball scene. Uh, another prime example is Christian Lander, another five-star recruit. Goes to Indiana, goes under Archie Miller for a year, struggles this year under Woodson, and he's not touching the floor. Just because he's physically, you know, defensively not capable and he's undersized, Monty's the same exact thing. Um, you know, kids sit there and try and rush it and think they're ready. But that next step instead of realizing and being realistic what their skill set is or what they need to do to be able to compete they're going against grown men and they're they're trying to go against when they're 18 years old or you know 17 years old and it's just not working out it's not what's you know physically capable
1: well and then you look at a guy like johnny davis who comes in and develops for a year last year gets some playing time as a freshman but doesn't have to take on a huge role and then takes that huge jump from his fresh freshman to sophomore year and that's somebody who's three years older than Imani Bates and is still only a sophomore. So, you know, it's just, he's, he's at a disadvantage.
0: Well, we talked Wendell Moore. He's a, he came in as a not quite as high profile as Imani Bates, but he was still a five-star kid with a lot of expectation to leave after one year. Didn't really produce those first two years. But now as a junior, you see him arguably, maybe, I would definitely say Duke's most consistent player on that team.
1: Absolutely, Yeah, Wendell Moore came in very, very young, even for somebody who had reclassified. I mean, I think he had just turned 17. Um, and uh, I live in the triangle and there was huge expectations for Wendell Moore. I mean, absolutely huge. And you know, it, part of it is that when you reclassify and put yourself in that situation, you sort of raise the expectations for yourself because people sort of see you as this kind of wonderkind kid who's going to just come in and do the same thing he did in high school. And just oh, most of these guys are not ready for that.
0: I completely agree, but it's, you know, it's those expectations. It's that mentality of get to the league as fast as possible. So let's jump to the the power conferences. Now we have mentioned that Miami being five and O leading ACC conference, they're 13 and three overall. I expect fully that they'll be ranked in tomorrow's top 25 winners of nine in a row, just knocked off number two Duke, as we mentioned, they are five and O. Then behind them is kind of a log jam with a handful of teams at one loss. Louisville's 4-1. and one. They just took their first L last night to Florida State. Notre Dame, 3-1. North Carolina, 3-1. and one. And Duke, 2-1. and one. All a game behind the Hurricanes, um, or at least a game in the loss column behind them. The ACC has been so bad this year. So bad that the fact that Miami is rising up to give them another team, because coming into the ACC play a week or two ago, it looked like on it wouldn't have happened because it's the ACC, the name brand, and the power conference. I understand that. But if you're talking just the eye test and you know, logic and thinking, it looked like Duke would have been the only legitimate contender for NCAA tournament because everybody else looked just so-so or bad. The ACC, this is the worst I've seen the conference in many, many years.
1: Yeah, there's, there's really, other than Duke, like you said, there's not a top-level team in the conference. I mean, I think when you look at it, Virginia, I, I expected Tony Bennett to have figured it out by now with this roster. But, you know, they've experienced so much turnover, guys transferring out. Um, you have to wonder if he's going to be able to figure it out this year. Um, so I think they're going to be a team that's on the bubble at best um Clemson's been playing pretty decent ball um Wake Forest has been a huge surprise as well Steve Forbes is definitely somebody who deserves to be in the conversation for uh, coach of the year so far but yeah outside of Duke there it's it's going to be a rough rough year for the ACC they may be a three or four bid league but I can't see it beyond that
0: yeah they um and Corey I'll let you get to your point here in a second Miami again, off to a great start, but they've not re- Duke, of course, but can they can maintain that success will be the key. Again, I think the cream rises the crop. You see Duke Carolina at the top. But behind that, Virginia, prior to getting blown out by North Carolina, they had started to make some headway. The team I'm disappointed in, I had them my preseason ACC pick. I bought into the hype from the tournament last year. They got the other Bayheim brother in, but, you know, Joe Gerard's coming back. I thought, boy, this will be a really good Syracuse team, and they're 1-3 and three in conference, 7-8 and eight overall, and just struggling. They're towards the bottom of the conference. So disappointed in Syracuse. I thought they would be right there with Duke and Carolina for contention in the ACC this year.
2: Absolutely. No, the uh, the overall conference play is just, it's unreal. I mean, you think of an ACC that's been in, you know, history's past that multiple teams and they're competing, multiple teams, you know, deserving rankings. You know, it's just, it's a wide open gap of who's average. There's no standout really besides, you know, Duke and, you know, and Duke's the, uh, the bear of, you know, consistency and stuff like that. But it's like, you know, I mean, you have Notre Dame that's on the rise, like you said, just, you know, a few minutes ago, Miami's coming. Out, you know making a statement early but you know how long does that continue and what you know what does that continue on for conference tournament time and into the you know what does the uh committee look at for you know the overall conference uh when it comes to the selection
0: Sunday I think ultimately and you guys understand this ultimately it's going to come down to you still have to have put 68 teams in the tournament um and the ACC still carries a lot of weight behind the, the name the brand and everything so they're going to the committee will find a way to the justify five you'll even see predictions at the end of the year that oh they might even get six or seven teams that won't deserve it there may be at the end of the year five but that the committee has to put a number of teams in and they'll find a way to put six or seven in even if they don't deserve it but right now this is the worst i've seen the acc in a long time
1: Yeah, I can't think of another year where it was. I mean, if we ranked the conferences right now, where would y'all have the ACC?
0: I'd have them fifth.
1: Yeah, I I think that's fair. I mean, I've got the SEC.
0: Yeah, I've got the SEC, the Big 12, the um, Big 10, the Big East, then the ACC and Pac-12 as far as the Power Six goes.
1: The big East is extremely underrated. I feel like I don't hear a lot of people talking about how good the big East is, but they have five or six teams that are really, really good. They, they at least have three for sure tournament teams in Providence, Villanova and Xavier and, right. and well, four, I'm sorry. in Seton hall as well. Yep. Um, and then you're going to have Creighton and St. John's and Marquette right there.
0: Yeah. And then Yukon's got the potential of a tournament team. They're right there on the top 25. They've been in the top 25 this year. They've not really played up to to par, I guess. They're one and two in the Big East, 10 and four overall, but they're a team that's got enough talent and former top 100 guys, four-star recruits and stuff that they can put a run together. But I'm with you. Peyton and I love the Big East. We've talked about it. Um, Providence, I just mentioned in the last show, better put some respect on Ed Cooley's name because what he's done ever since he's got the Providence – has been nothing short of remarkable. Villanova is Villanova, um, although maybe not as dominant as we thought they would be because we had them preseason top three. Xavier loved the Xavier ball club. Creighton will pull a big win up and then turn around and get hammered. Um, Marquette's first year in a shock of smart. I don't think they're going to make the tournament, but they could spoil the tournament for other teams. I I still like the St. John's team. I know they're nine and four. They've struggled since conference play started but I still like the St. John's team. I love Julian Champagney. I think he's tremendous. Um, I'm with you guys. I think the big East is up for grabs and at the top of it's Providence and Villanova at four and one. And then right behind is Xavier and Creighton at two and one, this could be an interesting uh, two or three horse race coming down the stretch.
1: Yeah. Providence is leading the country and tier one wins as well.
0: Yep. Um, So that was the big East looking back at the big 12, obviously Baylor guys. Baylor is the, you know, they're unbeaten. They've got a dynasty that's built the last they're so physical. They're so tough. It's just like Baylor just wants to get in a fight with you because they know they're going to knock you out. Eventually they're so good. What Scott drew has done at Baylor is nothing short of miraculous.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think they're the only team in the country so far this season that you can count on to show up every single night Um, as much as we've talked about inconsistency with teams that you know exactly what you're getting with the Baylor Bears every single night and uh, there's also something to be said for how much other coaches hate Scott Drew Uh, I think (laughs) (laughs) some people might think of that as a negative thing but I actually think it's a positive thing if if uh, too many coaches like you that they think it's easy to beat you
0: right yeah that's that's a great point we talked about the other conferences how many we think would get in I'm looking at the big 12. And I think as we sit here on January the 9th, obviously Oklahoma state can't be in the tournament. TCU and Kansas state's not good enough to make the tournament just yet. Despite I know TCU's decent. I like Jamie Dixon. They're 10 and two. I think eventually they're going to come back down to earth. what I mean by that. I, I can't stand Bruce Weber. I have personal reasons for that. I've said that before on the show. <laughs> I've given an example of why, but Baylor, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas Tech, Kansas, uh, West Virginia and Iowa State are all tournament teams to me.
1: Well, let me just get my quick dig in at Bruce Weber because I'm an Illinois fan so <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, I agree with you. I mean they the big 12 is again another five or six deep league. and if, if you had to choose right now, Josh, would you take Baylor or the field? for the tournament?
0: The betting man in me just because of the odds. Um, and I know how the tournament works. I say the field, but, but if there was one team right now that I trust more than anybody, it's Baylor just because they just know how to win. They come off a title year, they lose, you know, a bunch of key pieces and all they do is keep rolling. They bring in, um, just name, just escape me, former Georgetown and Arizona kid. Um, um oh shoot, uh, leading him scoring. I cannot think of his name right now. Hold well, I'm trying to pull it out. I can't think. Really... I can picture him. Oh, James Akinjo. And um they bring in Akinjo, and all they do is keep the beat rolling. They're they're gonna defend, they're gonna rebound, and they're gonna work you to death on offense to either get a layup dunk or a three pointer. And I trust them. They're the only team in the country that I trust right now.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And just, I, I'm surprised to be honest. I mean, they had expectations coming into the year, but coming off of the championship last year, it's for, especially for a program like that, that's just breaking through. it, It can be hard to maintain that, that level at the top, especially when you put that bullseye on you, you know, they're getting everybody's best game, everybody night, everybody's best game every night now. Um, and it's it's a lot harder to be the hunted than it is to be the hunter.
0: And I'm always going to take the, the tough-minded team. Tough-minded always wins games because it doesn't matter in what situation. They can be tough enough to blow you out by 30, or they're so tough that they can be down late and find a way to win. And I think that's remarkable. By the way, we got to give a shout-out to our adopted high school team, my former alma mater here in Indiana, um, the number two-ranked team in the state of Indiana, Class 1A Edinburgh Lancers uh, ran their record last night to 11 and 0. Just did the bonus podcast with them. Great, great rave reviews. We will do a series on them, documenting their journey to the state title. Hopefully, for everybody here in state and out of state, kind of taking on them as their state of Indiana high school team. But last night, they a lot resembled Baylor in a way. They played an inferior opponent. Away that opponent played tremendous. They didn't have their best game, but they still found a way in double overtime to bring one out. And I think that's the that's the true build and character of a championship team. So, got to give some love. And if you haven't checked that bonus episode out yet, go back in the archives. It's titled "Bonus Episode: Edinburgh Number One." Give those boys a chance because, like I said, they are uh, they've been adopted as ECB's official high school team. We're gonna document their journey to the state championship, hopefully. So, just give a cheap plug on them.
1: and back to Baylor just real quick like you pointed out uh they can play any style of basketball you want to play I mean I sort of expected in that Iowa State game uh a week ago now that Iowa State would be able to slow it down and maybe give them problems and I think Baylor ended up scoring 80 still I think um they can play up tempo they can play a slow defensive game they can do whatever you want to do
0: yeah and that's dangerous because if you can't speed them up and you can't slow them down you can't be physical with them, then what can you do? You just got to hope that they have a, tr- a like an off-night shooting and you're hitting the nets. That's it. Yeah, exactly. So, so I think if there is one weakness in Baylor before we move on to the Big Ten, not necessarily depth, but I think the only weakness is depth. Because it, what happens if they get in a bunch of foul trouble or, God forbid, COVID or injuries start taking their toll and they have to get down to the eighth, ninth man? Um, because you're you know they might have a tournament game where something happens like that where they're gonna have to dig deep will the the depth follow them all the way through I guess we'll find out it shouldn't be an issue but that's that's how good they are I'm trying to dig to find a a hole in their game
1: yeah and and that particular hole I think could be said for the vast majority of the country I mean there's I I hate to keep bringing, I feel like I've said it 10 times, but the transfer portal, you know, guys who aren't getting minutes are transferring out to get more minutes elsewhere. So you don't have a lot of teams that go past seven or eight deep with experienced players.
0: Right. Absolutely. Let's go to the, to the big 10. I know we have a lot of listeners um, here in the big 10 country, specifically here in Indiana, being IU Purdue fans. Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, etc. We have a lot of Big 10 country people listening so let's go to their conference. Um not quite as good as last year where I thought for sure 100% they were the best conference in basketball, but you're still looking at a quality quality conference led by Michigan State and Illinois right now at 4 and 0, Ohio State's 4 and 1, Wisconsin 3 and 1, Rutgers 3 and 1 now. They've got a little hot streak after knocking off Purdue. Indiana 3 and 2 do it two and two or Penn State two and three. Michigan one and two. Oh my god, we're gonna talk about them in a second. Um, Minnesota one and three, Iowa one and three Northwestern one and three and then O oh, zero wins. Maryland oh and three Nebraska 0 oh and five. Let's start with Michigan real quick. One and two in conference seven and six in the big I'm sorry yeah, one and two in conference seven and six overall. Man, I don't know. I thought they would be so much better. I thought it'd be them and Purdue, a one two race in the Big Ten, and they are struggling. Hunter Dickinson just has no help. Caleb Houston's not playing up to what everybody thought. There's no guards that can go get him a bucket like there was a year ago. This Michigan team is not good. They're not, they are not a tournament team. I don't even think they're an NIT team right now.
1: And I think a huge portion of that is replacing Franz Wagner. Um, I, he was so underrated last year and, he, and you see it now with what he's doing in the NBA. Um, but I, I think Michigan was just a little bit overrated coming into the year. Um, we have a tendency to do that with teams that are coming off of big years um, is to, you know, want to just put them in the top 10, top 15, the next season. And I, I, I don't see a path for them making the tournament. Like you said, they – Caleb Houston has not been at all what they expected him to be. They they thought he was going to be able to come in and be, you know, a, a sort of step right in and be a star guard, and he hasn't even been close.
0: Not at all. I Court, think – I was going to say, Corey, I know you got thoughts on the Big Ten, so.
2: Oh, yeah, no, this is my conference for sure. No, kind of like, you know, kind of like you guys said, there's just no possible way. I mean, they're going on the road at Illinois. Illinois is, you know – and sitting there, getting back to you know after uh, Kofi was you know suspended a couple games, had a couple rough spots here and there, but you know they're getting better and better. Uh, then Maryland, there Maryland's the winless team is still you know anything's capable on the road to Indiana. Indiana showing you know they can win at home, sitting there knocking off Ohio State this week, going against a Northwestern team that's surprising people and you know playing better, going on the road to Michigan State. And, I mean everybody knows Tom Izzo is there push the other teams and sit there and just do not lose. I mean, and that's just the the end of January. like There's just no possible way that this team is going to sit there and start putting things together at the time right now.
0: Yeah, the Big Ten's maybe the worst conference in basketball year in and year out to try to figure stuff out in conference play. Izzo's the only one I've known that consistently can do it, can have subpar middle of the years, and then February figure it out. But everybody else, it's the worst conference to try to do that in for a reason, Michigan, I don't know. Um, super disappointing, them, Kind of like we talked about Texas in a way. Purdue, two and two in conference. Ever since we got in conference play, we've mentioned obviously dropped the two. That's that's kind of be expected. I still think they're good. I do want to shine a light on Indiana, though. I think IU three and two still haven't. You know, got a twenty year losing streak up in Madison, Wisconsin against Wisconsin. But uh, I
2: don't even want to talk about that game. <laughs> well,
0: just up big and losing that one, but Indiana. Yep. Are- they're rolling now. They just beat yep. a very good Ohio State team. They're yeah, Ohio no. State really Lost in conference. And look, I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you guys something real quick on the Big Ten before you guys get into Indiana because Corey, I know I used your team. Yep. Uh, the Big Ten has, at least in Ken Pom, they have seven of the top 10 Ken Pom player of the year candidates. They have EJ Liddell from Ohio State. They have Johnny Davis from Wisconsin, Trace Jackson Davis from Indiana, Jaden Ivey from Purdue, um, Keegan Murray from Iowa. Uh, and who was the other one? I just lost it. That was – who's the other two I'm missing here? Uh, oh, Coburn, Kofi, maybe? Kofi Coburn. Kofi Coburn is the other. And I don't have to look up the, the seventh guy. But seven of the top ten Ken Palm Player of the Year rankings come from the Big Ten.
2: I mean, for Indiana, it just it goes off of Trace Jackson Davis. The more they sit there and feed through him, I mean, today, and they're starting to figure it out, the win against Ohio State, the win against Minnesota today, where they sit there and start to play a game that's not them, you know, which is where Wisconsin came back and got that win. So they started chucking up, you know, quick threes. They start sitting there working the ball around, the, you know, the perimeter. They don't get it down through the post. And instead, they sit there and, you know, uh, or, you know, the turnover margins early in the year. They're starting to get better. They're starting to hit some free throws. Things are starting to look up for the Hoosiers. So I'm telling you right now, Mike Woodson, I was a little bit skeptical on the hire at first just because of, you know, the same thing with Juwan Morgan. Or uh, Juwan Howard, sorry. Um, Juwan Morgan, IU guy, big <laughs> IU guy here. So, um, no, uh, you know, put a lot of basket, or, you know, eggs into your basket. And it's like, you know, you kind of worry when guys come back to their alma mater. It's like, what, uh, what's your true, uh, you know, identity going to be? They're leading the uh, Big Ten in uh, defense right now also. So the pack line defense that they put in is actually working. But, you know, Indiana starting to find their identity. Uh, they're starting to learn that if they do go away from what their game plan is, they're starting to get back to it quickly. And uh, I'm telling you, they're going to start making, you know, some heads turn. They're going to make a little bit of run, I'm hoping. so. I think – I, I think... may be a little biased, but <laughs>
0: – Oh, no, go ahead. I, I mean, trust me, I think Indiana – The fact that Trace Jackson Davis is starting to hit some jump shots are playing through him. He's a walking. He'll get you 15 and 15 nightly um, if need be. And then but a guy like Parker Stewart, I think Parker Stewart's really helped change the direction of this team. I love the freshman Tamar Bates. Uh, I know he kind of a little shaky at times. I love Tamar Bates as a player and getting a guy like. uh, Trey Kaufman back healthy I think you've seen against Ohio State makes a difference I think this Indiana team's finally going to break that current or tournament curse and get back to the tournament and could potentially depending on how they keep progressing I still think Indiana's woes is three-point shooting um, we've seen it over the last four years with Archie Miller basketball earlier in this year they still struggled hitting threes I'm gonna look up see what they are shooting from three right now, but I think three point shooting around 36 point uh, 36 35 exactly thirty-five percent right. okay. exactly, which is which is about average. They're one oh two in the nation and that um I still think that could be a factor if they can consistently hit from three. But this looks like a tournament team and with a guy like Trace Jackson Davis, you need a star come tournament time. I think with the right matchups, man, maybe you could see them Sneaking the sweet 16. I think it all depends on their matchups and seeding, but I do think Indiana is the tournament team this year.
2: I tell you, most underrated player right now in the Big Ten, Race Thompson, right now sitting there, he's a hundred percent a workhorse for him, you know, cleaning up everything with uh, with Jackson Davis. He's an absolute beast that just people aren't recognizing just because, like you said, seven out of the top 10 and the you know, Kim Palm player of the year, but Tracy or uh, Race Thompson right now is sitting there cleaning up and doing the little things. That Indiana needs to sit there and set themselves up.
0: I want to give you talk about Kent. Our Indiana's defense—they're 24th overall in Ken Palm for overall, but they're 10th in defense in the country. They are second in effective field goal percentage defense. Teams are only shooting 41% from the field. They are limiting offensive rebounds. Teams only get 22% of the board offensive boards against them in a the game. They're 19th in the nation that, and they're the number one defense defending inside the arc. Teams only shoot 39.6% from two-point land against them. Plus, they are 17th in the nation on defense and block percentage. They're blocking 15.5% of the the trips down the floor on defense. I think you start with that. Everybody knows Mike Woodson was going to come in and change the identity on defense. Then if you get that offense rolling, I think this is a dangerous IU's team. As long as they continue to play consistent and solid, you can't – their upcoming schedule, they've got Iowa – their, their next two's on the road, Iowa, and Nebraska, again, it's life on the road, both winnable games, but got to take care of them. Cause then after that, you've got Purdue, Michigan, Penn state, Maryland, and Illinois. There's some chances for wins there. I think of Indiana to get back on track that game at home in assembly hall on January 20th against Purdue. They haven't beat Purdue in such a long time. If they can knock the boilers off at home, we are talking about a different IU team for sure.
1: Well, and I I think there's something to be said for Mike Woodson being willing to just embrace what their identity is offensively and just feed Trace Jackson Davis the ball. I mean, that's sort of more the NBA mentality. You see some of these college coaches fall so much in love with whatever their offensive system is. When you have a guy who can score 20 points a night, just get him the ball.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's an NBA-style offense. And you heard, because he spent so much time in the NBA, you heard people in the NBA from the New York Knicks players talking about how much they loved Mike Woodson. You hear it now. I've seen Trace Jackson Davis tweet to some former IU players a few weeks ago um, talking about um, how they would love to play for Coach Woody. And he's like, I forget who it was, who he was talking to, but he's like, you would have loved him because he yells at you if you don't shoot. It seems like the players are invested into him. They love playing for him because he has their trust. He's going to work them hard and coach them hard, but he gives them the green light to go out and play and not restrict them. I think Indiana, I said it over the summer when they hired him, the best thing besides Mike Woodson, the best thing that they did was bring in Dane Fife because Dane Fife is a top tier assistant coach in college basketball.
2: Absolutely. And they have uh, uh, Thad Modest sitting there and, you know, director of basketball operations sitting there, right? at the – you know as the scores table with input too. I mean, they're setting themselves up to sit there and be a you know back to you know the old identity of being a uh, winner.
0: Completely agree. Um, real quick, also in the Big Ten, um, Tom Izzo just keeps doing it. Uh, he just you know lose loses rocket watch. Josh um, Josh Langford finally graduates, but. Yeah. Man, I no, was
2: it Mirror. Did it feel like Langford was there for like 10 years? Oh,
0: he was. <laughs> he was. Yeah,
2: I swear. Like, there's always guys like Aaron Kraft was the same way for Ohio State. I was like, I swore that guy was in college like since I was like 10 years old.
0: So and was, I was like, man, I was like, it felt like Perry Ellis of Kansas was there for 20 years. He felt like he was a yeah. complete bet. Um, yeah, I, I would, but there's their identity in Tom Izzo was always the same. They're going to rebound. They're going to attack the rim. They want to get up and down and push the ball, but their identity lies in controlling the backboard and defending hard and then running off of your mistakes. Guys, that team is – that team's built to win. He's got a program to win despite everybody that they lose. And then the other team I want to talk about is Illinois, sitting there at 4-0 in conference, three, or 11-3 overall. Kofi Coburn, a player of the year candidate, they lose obviously Ayo Dan Sumu. They have a couple guys transfer out, but here they are still doing the damn thing. Brad Underwood's building a really good program in Champaign.
1: Yeah. So uh, I am an Illinois fan. And first of all, I'm extremely pleased with what Brad Underwood's been doing there. Just completely picked up the level of recruiting that they were doing and um, And no offense to John Gross, but just he's he's a completely different level coach. John Gross was a little bit in over his head in the Big Ten coaching against Tom Izzo, Matt Painter, some of those higher end coaches. Um, Illinois just has to find some consistency at guard. They can have Coburn show up every night, but if they keep getting the shot selection that they get at guard, then they're going to be an easy out in the
0: tournament. I think what helps Illinois besides Coburn too, obviously it's hard to replace a guy like Ayodonsumu, Sumo, but it's easy. It's an easier transition when you bring in a guy like Alfonso Plummer from Utah, who can go get you some buckets, Trent Frazier's back for a senior year. And then another big man to compliment Coburn in the same mold as physicality wise that has experience from Florida. Omar Payne was a big get for you guys. Um, uh, Illinois, man, and I'm kind of upset that you just took over the the number one offensive rebounding mantle from Kentucky. So <laughs> Illinois is getting 41.8% of their possessions in and, and offensive rebound, 16th in the country and three-point shooting percentage shooting at 38, basically 39% from three, um, ninth offensively, 24 defense. That's a recipe for a big-time season right there. Well, and I think once they get –
1: Andre Corbello back in the rotation, you know, full-time, they'll see a lot better and more consistent guard play because none of these guys are used to running the offense. Everything ran through AO last year um, to a point where it probably hurt some guys' development a little bit. But I mean, when you have somebody who can get to the rim at will, like he could, then it's, it's hard to get these other guys' looks, but Trent Frazier is really stepping up. Um, Again, it's a lot of their issues at guard are shot selection, Plummer when he's shooting well is unbelievable. I mean, just he hits shots that you don't even think other guys should take He's one of those. No, 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 no. Yes guys. Right. Or he just hits a 30 footer in somebody's face, but he can be off some nights. Um, and like the Arizona game is a perfect example. That game was coming down to the wire and then all of a sudden Plummer and Frazier just started taking these ridiculous shots that they have no business taking. And then you lose the game by seven points.
0: Yeah. Um, Illinois, looking at their schedule, yeah. I'm trying to think. So, they beat Iowa. Obviously, they're unbeaten in the conference. would beat Iowa, Missouri, Minnesota, Maryland. It, Minnesota's. Oh, – I'm sorry, Missouri is not in the conference. I didn't mean that. But you know what I'm saying. They beat Iowa, Minnesota, Maryland, <laughs> Rutgers is what I meant to say. But of their marquee games in the non-conference, they lost to Marquette, lost to Cincinnati, lost to Arizona. They did beat Notre Dame, who we mentioned is starting to surge a little bit. Their upcoming schedule, Michigan's not what we, we've we just mentioned. Michigan's not the same. Nebraska's their next two, should be winnable. But then they play Purdue. And then Purdue, Maryland, and Michigan State. I'm ready to see Illinois again play some competition of their quality, like Purdue, Michigan State, Indiana, Wisconsin, Purdue. Like you look in February there, there's that stretch where they play Wisconsin, Indiana, Purdue, back to back to back. I'm ready to see if Illinois has progressed to get – one of those marquee wins to knock off a team like that because again the same way with indiana and knocking purdue off if illinois can start breaking through and knocking some of those team offs you look at an illinois team the way they're built and inside the conference they play it's a top three seed again this year
1: yeah i mean they're top 10 offensively in ken palm top 25 defensively despite being unranked i think they're they're ranked 11th in ken palm overall Um, even though they're unranked, Uh, like I'll be interested to see that Purdue matchup. Um, That's a huge matchup for them as far as seeing what they can do offensively with Coburn going against Edie, because I mean, we'll be honest about Coburn's game. It's just brute force. I mean, he's not great with his footwork. He, he dominates physically and he's not going to be able to do that
0: against Edie. Well, you wouldn't think, you wouldn't think Um, people thought the same thing about Oscar Shibley against Western Kentucky's big man. Um, The the big man did get some blocks, but Shibley also put up 30 rebounds almost. So um, we'll see. Let's go to the PAC 12. I know we not a lot to say here just because the conference is so down, which I thought they'd be better, but they do have three really good teams inside the top 10 USC, Arizona, UCLA all unbeaten in the conference. Those are the three marquee teams that could make runs inside the tournament. USC, Andy Enfield, um, they're 13 and 0. The other unbeaten team, along with Baylor, they're long, athletic, they defend, they run. Um, Arizona has been probably the surprise of the year. Tommy Lloyd has built this club in one year. Um, I think over the years, because he was at Gonzaga, he was known as the international recruiter. And you already see a little bit of it, Arizona. I think you're going to see more of an international style flair from Arizona. And then UCLA, they've been on such a COVID pause that feels like they haven't played in forever, but they've still got that talent. Jaime Jaquez, uh, Johnny Juzang, Tiger Campbell, et cetera, et cetera. Those are really the three teams. Uh, I thought Washington State would be better. I thought um, Oregon would be better, and they're just not. Really, it's a three-team race in the Pac-12. Yeah,
1: I'm – super disappointed in Oregon I was going to ask you guys what what happened there I mean they had a lot of turnover on the roster but Dana Altman's sort of one of those coaches who doesn't rebuild he reloads
0: usually and they have not been there at all I don't know I'm disappointed I had them predicted it finishing close to the top of the conference bat on UCLA and yeah, I, I don't know. Um, 31 on offense, 112 on defense. I, can't, I think that kind of explains it. They're towards the bottom in the nation and free throw shooting percentage, only shooting 66% as a team. Uh, guys like Will Richardson, Jacob Young transfer from Rutgers. You know, I love Davion Harmon, um, transfer from Oklahoma, Quincy Guerrieri um, from Syracuse. Those guys, they've got talent. And finally, Dante's just not been the guy we thought he would be coming in as a freshman a couple of years ago. I don't know. I'm really disappointed in the Ducks this year.
2: They just don't know how to close or how to finish a game or how to sit there. I mean, they have, what, one, two, three games right now in the month of December that they lost either in overtime or, you know, within, you know, uh, one or two possession games. It's like, you know, you got to sit there and if you want to sit there and be at the top of the conference, you got to figure out how to flip your script and sit there and start taking games
1: and uh, start finishing them out. And, I mean, you look through their schedule and they lose to St. Mary's by 12, lose to Houston by almost 30, but then they're able to hang with Baylor, you know, with an eight. So they're just another one of these teams where at their best, you know, they can probably play with just about anybody in the country, but how often are you going to get their best?
0: Super. I mean, again, they are top 50 offense and (laughs) – you know, high or, you know, low to mid one hundreds on defense. It's the inconsistency there. It's like they, they want to score 90, but they'll give up 91. It doesn't make sense, but let's go to the best conference in college basketball. And so we can start moving on. We talked about the sec. You look at this conference, Auburn, Texas A&M's unbeaten in conference. Those are the only two unbeaten teams in conference, but the rest of it, LSU, Kentucky, Alabama two and one, South Carolina, Old Miss, Mississippi State, Vandy, Missouri one and one, Tennessee, one and two, and then Florida, Georgia, Arkansas, oh and three. what the hell has happened to Arkansas? Oh my God, they've fallen off the cliff in the last three weeks. But this conference is loaded. this looks I look right now and you guys tell me what you think. Auburn, LSU, Kentucky, hold on let me let me count that. Up. Auburn, LSU Kentucky, Alabama, I still think Tennessee, of course, is a tournament team. Um I think Mississippi State can get up there and play to their potential. That's six at least. Texas AM 13 and two looks like a tournament team right now at seven. And I think Old Miss is a tournament bubble team. I know they got five losses. They do they did beat up Memphis, um, but you know, they've already beat Mississippi State. I think or sorry, was it Mississippi State or Arkansas? I forget who they beat now. i have to check, but I think seven solid teams in the tournament, potentially eight, depending. And if you want to throw in, if a team can get hot like a Florida or Arkansas plays back to their potential, that's nine teams. I think the SEC is so damn good this year. And,
1: okay. will, I mean, just look at the past few years. I mean, Bruce Pearl, Perry. You
0: yeah, there? I think court. I think we lost. Uh, I think we lost Phil there for a minute. Hopefully, he'll be back. Corey, go ahead. And, I know you had some thoughts on it.
2: Yeah, I was just say, No, they're they're easily the most dominant team. they they remind me a lot. Like I said, I'm a Big Ten guy, but they remind me a lot of the Big Ten a couple of years ago, where it's almost so many top teams. Who's going to knock off who? But they're still going to be up there, you know, putting teams in just because you know the Ken Palm rankings and everything else, and the committee's going to take that into consideration. But you no, know, that that conference of every day, if you don't play, no matter if it's you know one to you know fourteen or whatever, they're going to sit there and somebody's going to knock you off. Uh, you know, like like you guys said, Missouri, Missouri is definitely not a good team. I think Georgia, Tom Green, scene's getting warmer and warmer. And I think, you know, a couple of those teams down at the bottom will start to separate themselves out It ain't bad. But right now, the top, you know, nine, ten teams are going to be a lot of fun to watch as we go down the stretch.
0: Yeah, I think um, this could be like the Big Ten or the ACC or even the old Big East where you just wonder about if some of those middle-of-the-road teams just beat each other up and trade wins where it ends up hurting all three or four teams to make the tournament where, you know, we're sitting here maybe eight now or nine even – and then they just all beat each other up to where they have, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 losses and only five or six teams gets in. But I still think we all agree that the SEC is the top of the top in college basketball this year.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the SEC is a conference, you know, the last couple of years have kind of been down, whereas, you know, more of a three or four team conference this year. It's definitely, you know, out there is the best, it's, you know, nine or 10 where uh, it's going to be exciting. It's going to, you know, there's going to be a couple of teams make a deep run, I believe.
0: And I think what Phil was getting to say, and Phil's back with us now, um, what he was getting ready to say, I think, and Peyton and I have alluded to this the last couple of years, the the reason why the SEC's profile in the last three or four seasons has went up to finally now where they're the best conference is you look at the coaching hires look at the coaches inside the conference and their backgrounds, their pedigrees from national championships to final fours, And look at the talent that's in the conference this year. And there's no wonder why this steady progression, why the conference is as strong as it is now.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was saying is, if you look at the coaches in the conference now versus, say, just 10 years ago, it's night and day, the caliber of coach. I mean, you have 10 really quality or high quality coaches, like you said, with pedigree, who have been to final fours at other places who have built programs at multiple places. I mean, I don't think a lot of people realize how successful Ben Howland was before, you know, I mean, it ended bad at UCLA, but at what he built at Pitt and then what he built at UCLA um, he's an unbelievable coach. So there's really not anybody that you look at in the league. That's going to be an easy loss or an easy win. Excuse me.
0: I completely agree. And even look at a, a, a novice coach of college ranks at um, Jerry Stackhouse at Vanderbilt. He had a rough year last year, but this year they're already starting to be a little better. They've got one of the top players on conference is Scotty Pippen jr. He's a triple double waiting nightly. If he wants to, um, even the bottom tier teams are playing better and getting more talent inside their programs, which only elevates the conference. So I think it's an interesting deal. I think this SEC is going to be wide open. Auburn looks the part of the best team right now. They look the part of one of the better teams in the country. But let's see here in a month from now, once everybody starts really having to play each other, at least through the first round of games against one another, part of the round robin style. I think once we get to the SEC tournament in March, I think that thing is going, you're going to look at those brackets, going to be like, Jesus, I don't know who's going to win.
1: And I'm curious what you think. This is a little bit of a, a future question, but um, Jabari Smith is starting to sort of emerge as the possible number one pick. Do you do you see him
0: continuing on that trajectory
1: this year as, as we get into SEC play, or and,
0: unless something unless something out of his control slows him down, then yeah, I do because he's what six ten and he's got guard skills and he's defending and playing hard. He blocks shots. He runs the rim. Yeah, he, I mean, he looks like one of the top two or three picks, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, I mean, going into the season, he was obviously, he was seen as a first round pick, but I did not hear anybody hyping him at that level. And then I'd say over the past week or two, he's really emerged. And uh, you're starting to hear some Kevin Durant comparisons, which I think is probably a little lofty for him. I mean, especially when you consider, you know, Katie was, dropping what 30 and 12 a game in college yeah. um but he's he's going to be a really really good player and for his size like he's six ten, and the way he can just pull up on the break and shoot that three is unbelievable for a big man
0: and it's unguardable at his size and the high release point he has the the player i think is really starting to turn on here lately for auburn and peyton had alluded to it you know prior to everything is walker kessler the North Carolina transplant, he's starting to really find his game now. And I think it's taken that to that to a whole new level for the program.
2: So I want to ask your guys' opinion just because, you know, I, I always look at it kind of at the beginning of the year and I like to look at it kind of in the middle. What's your guys' opinion on, you know, we have so much turnover in the uh, transfer portal and stuff like that for a lot of the programs that went transfer portal half, you know, heavy that are on the, you know, a little bit more of a struggle side or, you know, high school, you know, or, you know, a typical recruiting class. What's your guys' opinion on what – where is the better option right now? You know, would you stay with the – hitting the transfer portal heavy or would you sit there and try to get back to, you know, old ways and more, uh, you know, a typical recruiting class and see the – you know, over time the the transfer portal is going to die down?
0: So I've got two answers on that, and I'll, I'll take this and let Phil see what he says on that. So, I think it all depends on what kind of program you're at and where you're at in the program. Uh, obviously, like this year, Kentucky's still always going to have a top one, top two, top three at the worst recruiting class under John Calipari. That's just the way it is. They're going to bring in five stars, they're going to bring in high four stars, always. But the reason why I think Kentucky's so good and going to be potentially great by the year's end is because they went out and got experience. They filled holes immediately like a free agency. That they needed, they got shooters. They brought them in. They brought experienced guys in, like Oscar Shibway and I think that's the that's the new model. I don't think recruiting is ever going to go away because you're always going to have to. I mean, you're going to have to no, keep, you're going to keep fresh talent coming in, as you know. No. you Can't pass up the big time talent. You just can't. No, no,
2: but, absolutely.
0: I think the transfer portal is just another form of recruiting, and I think when done right, uh, you look at Baylor's team last year. They won a national championship with four former transfers, right? They all, all yep. their big time talent from last year had started their career elsewhere and transferred in. That's all you need to know about the transfer portal and how well it can work.
2: Yo, yep. I agree. Yeah, you know I, the reason yeah. I can. Kind of, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bill.
1: Uh, no, I was just gonna agree with most. I think it, it really comes down to where you're at in your and where you're at in your program and what type of coach you are. You know, when you're a coach like John Calipari, who like Josh said, has experience already with a lot of turnover on his roster because of one and dones and whatnot. He probably has an easier time assimilating some, you know, a more transfer heavy roster. Um, but then you're also seeing a situation like Chris Beard at Texas where. He's previously sort of been a program builder and a, a talent developer. I mean, obviously at Jarrett Culver, he's had some some one and done guys, but for the most part, he's built, you know, a culture and he's sort of struggling to assimilate all those new players right now. So I I just think it depends on your situation a lot. And I think for a lot of teams it's gonna be developing and, and then trying to add that one or two key transfers that can, you know, give you the aspect of your team you're missing.
0: Do you know how I think in the long run, the, the transfer portal has really benefited. That is the smaller, the, either the mid-major or the small major, because now more so than ever, it's okay to go to a small team. Like, I'm looking at a kid like Antoine Davis. We've followed this kid since he's a freshman. He's been one of the – ever since the freshman year at Detroit Mercy, he's been one of the, in the top 10, top 15 in the NCAA in scoring, averaging right around like 25, 30 points a game. He's a senior this year at Detroit. If he doesn't try to go pro this year, you're telling me that a high major like – I don't know if Kentucky would be interested, but like in Indiana or Duke or – name your pick. Couldn't look or won't look at a guy that's a proven scorer that's at 6'3, 6'4 guard and be like, Oh, yeah, he can definitely help us. I think this the transfer portal has helping kids like that, like Kevin O'Banner. He had that great year, a couple years with Oral Roberts, and now he's playing for um, uh, Texas Tech, yep. right? So, yeah, he's a big time rebounder. That's why I'm surprised Max Abramus. The leading scorer from last year, Oral Roberts, after the season he had and the tournament run they had where they, uh, you know, knocked off some big teams as a 15 seed and all that, I'm surprised he came back to Oral Roberts. I figured he would be like, oh, no, I'm going to a high major. But I think the transfer portal has done wonders for kids like that. Yeah, for
1: sure. You And you started to see it with a guy like Seth Curry, who, you know, was at Liberty and then got to do – We're there? I'm still here.
0: Okay. Go ahead and finish your point. I think Corey just like glitched for a second. Okay. I
1: was, yeah, I was just saying you've sort of seen it start with a guy like Seth Curry, who Duke didn't take too many transfers before him. I mean, I, I want to say you could count on one hand, probably the amount of guys who had transferred into Duke and they seen the success they were able to have with him. And, you know, they haven't become transfer heavy by any means, but they've definitely at least started to accept some guys.
0: Yeah. Um, I think the transfer portal is done well. I'm not one of those people. I think it's, it's going to be a part of the game. So you might as well embrace it. And I think we've seen the benefits of it. Um, Oscar Shebla, I mean, Jesus Christ, what he's doing this year. We haven't seen since Tim Duncan, essentially um, the dude, he's not going to get 20 rebounds a game just because he's a little too far off now, but he's going to end the year averaging 15, 16 rebounds a game. And that's, it's remarkable. we never seen that at West Virginia. And he's adding the point where he can hit 15-foot jump shots. Like, it's remarkable. I love stories like that. Even forget that they play for Kentucky. It doesn't matter. It just so happens he plays for my team. It's remarkable that kind of turnaround, just going from one school to the next and having more of a freedom and confidence about yourself.
1: Well, and, and like you said, it's just going to be one of those parts of college basketball now that we got to get used to is you're going to see good players who play for two different schools. And that's just not something we're used to really seeing, but it, it is what it is. And I don't I don't think it's a negative by any means. I just think it's an adjustment we have to make as as fans that there's going to be a little less consistency um, and, you know, a little more turnover. But I think it's awesome.
0: All right, let's... um that's kind of the conference look around. And that was a tremendous segment. Like that was a really good breakdown. Um, That's what I love about this show so much is the fact that we get people on like you guys and Peyton and myself and other guests we've had. We've had former coaches and players in college. And that's one of my favorite parts is breaking down. Now let's go to we have a couple marquee games this upcoming week that I want to shine some light on. Um, and I know I'm going to forget some, but I just want to try to keep it to a couple. On Tuesday night in the Big 12, we have number 25 Texas Tech going on the road to number one Baylor. I just want to get your guys' this kind of opinion, maybe some key points for each team, and a prediction. I'll start with uh, Corey. You no,
2: know, I, uh, I think Texas Tech's definitely going to go in, show some more true colors, and uh, really sit there and see what Baylor's made of with the top-tier, uh, you know, uprising you know, team coming in. I still, think pay it, or, uh, I still think Baylor pulls it out, though. I think, uh, I think they're going to sit there. It's going to be a little
1: bit lower. I think it's going to be like a 68 60 in. Yeah, game. Yeah, uh, prediction is Baylor big for me. I think Texas Tech probably played about as well as they're capable of playing without their top two scorers. Um, and do we do we know yet? Are they going to be back? Because I think one of them was a covid t- uh, COVID positive. Yeah, that's, gonna be that gone. was going
0: to be part of my uh, predi- or my wonder. If Shannon's back, I think it makes it a little interesting at least having him back. I don't know yet, though.
1: But I just think beating Kansas the way they did without those two guys is such an emotional high. It wouldn't surprise me. And, and Baylor's just clearly the better team. So I'll say Baylor 80 to 62.
0: Yeah, I'm going to stay on the Baylor train, especially at home. There's no reason to go against them. I do think Tech can – find ways to keep it close, especially if at least Shannon is back. Um, I think a key to match physicality, he's not really shown it so far this year, but he we've seen it all the time at VCU where he was a walking double-double as Marco Santos Silva. Um, I think he's got to stay out of foul trouble. He has to be physical. He has to get some extra shot opportunities for Texas Tech on rebounds. I think Tech can keep it close. Um, for a little bit, but I'm with you guys. I got Baylor. Um, I think Baylor will pull away late too. I'll say they win 82-64. I'll oh, go an 18 point victory for the Bears. Um, Thursday night in the Big Ten, number 13 Ohio State at number 23 Wisconsin. I feel like these two teams are so similar. You got player of the year contenders and EJ Lidell against Johnny Davis. Both you know both like to defend both are physical um I think this is kind of a mirror image game so I'll start with you on this one Phil who you got and a couple key points
1: um I don't think you could pay me to bet against Wisconsin at home so I'll go Wisconsin probably 72 67 it'll be a good game um it just you know very often in college basketball or, you know, any level basketball, the best player on the floor, his team usually wins. And Johnny Davis to me is easily top five player in the country, probably best player in the big 10. So I, going to be tough to beat at home. Did you have a score on that one? 74, um, 68. Corey, what do you got?
0: Corey with us still? I think we got. I think he's out. Uh, I think he's on mute. It's okay. I'll... Oh, yeah. Oh, here you go. Thank there you here, go. Okay.
2: All right. So, sorry about that. I sat there and didn't realize I hit the mute button and dropped my phone. Uh, no, I said there. I think DJ uh, uh, Liddell, or, or Liddell comes back. And uh, after having the, the kind of emotional high today, uh, putting up clarity, um, you know, after the struggle against Indiana, I think he kind of has a lapse. I think Johnny Davis proves he's the best guy on the court. I think Wisconsin takes it at home. Uh, I think uh, Wisconsin sits there and pulls away. I think it's going to be about a 76-68 game.
0: I'm so indifferent because I feel like they're both similar in a lot of ways. Um, as far as style play goes, Wisconsin currently right now is in a ball game at Maryland. Maryland is only down three after being down big early, um, three minutes to go. <sighs> Man, I don't know. I guess I'll go Wisconsin. I'll say Wisconsin wins an ugly, a bowling shoe ugly game, uh, like 69-68. I do think it will come down to the final possession or two. And I think Johnny Davis will outshine E.J. Liddell. I can see him going for, you know, 25-30 again. But I wouldn't put it past Ohio State keeping this really tight and even squeaking one out because I do think the Buckeyes are deep and talented. However, I will ride the same wavelength, and I'll go Wisconsin 69-68 on that one. And then the final one on Saturday in the SEC, of course, this one's near and dear to my heart, so I'm going to let you guys pick this one first. Number 18, Tennessee at number 16, Kentucky. By all accounts, Severe Willer should be back for the Vanderbilt game on Tuesday, if not for sure against Tennessee on Saturday. So I will let you guys take the first volley. Give me some kind of key points, um, what to look for, and a prediction. Um,
2: I'll let you shoot at it first.
1: All right. Well, these two teams are both uh, both pretty inconsistent. Um, I think Kentucky's floor is higher than Tennessee's. Um, so I would pick Kentucky. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Uh, 80-76 is my pick. And the key to the game, Severe Wheeler being back, um, the key to everything Tennessee does is – how Kennedy Chandler plays. I mean, if he plays well, they're going to have a chance to beat anybody in the country, but he also shoots them out of some games. So, um, yeah, Kentucky.
0: Corey?
2: I'm going to go. I honestly think. You there? I was. I think Kentucky's going to come in I mean,
0: Can you hear me? Yeah, there you are. You were kind I of right for a second. Oh,
2: okay. I was going to say, I'm down in. I actually just went through uh, Lexington, heading south on 75. So oh,
0: there uh, you go.
2: <laughs> yeah, so, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm the furthest thing from a Kentucky fan. Uh, you know, the best game still is, you know, when Christian Wofford hit the shot. So, I'm just going to uh, leave that there uh, for man. you. And, uh, <laughs> but, no, I <laughs> – I think uh, I think Kentucky's going to come in, make a dominant force, uh, and stay in a home. I think they're honestly going to run it up and sit there and put a uh, a, a pretty good sized win. I think it's going to be about an 18 point win. I think it's going to be about a uh, 87 six. Uh, what is that? 69 game.
0: Oh, okay. So, K- Tennessee's got a top three defense in college basketball, and Ken Palm. Obviously, we know Kentucky. Um, Let's see what they're currently setting at. They're 11th in offense, 21 in defense. Ken Palm favors the Cats 74-69. I think there's a couple things in this. Xavier Wheeler is going to change the tempo of Kentucky's offense because the way he's always constantly pushing and probing, looking ahead to the extra man. I think it'll be interesting, John Fulkerson um, against Oscar Shibway. On paper, Oscar dominates that matchup going through him. Can he continue to – give Kentucky second, third, and fourth opportunities. Kentucky, obviously, a top-tier rebounding, offensive rebounding team. They're third now in the nation after being first there for a while. But three-point shooting percentage still. With all the good shooters they have, they're just missing too many, despite games where they will have 10 or 11 three-point shots made between Kellen Grady, Ty Washington, uh, Keon Brooks, et cetera. Davion Mintz is playing a lot better, et cetera, et cetera. I'm with you. I think Kennedy Chandler is the straw that stirs the Tennessee drink. However, if you look at Tennessee this year in their losses, they have four on the year, two of them on neutral site games against Villanova and Texas Tech, and then the last two on the road to Alabama and LSU. In those games, there's all kind of the one, the same thing. They lose Villanova. They score 53. They lose Texas Tech in the worst game as far as appealing game of the year against Texas Tech. They score 52 score 68 and 67 respectively against LSU and lose both on the road. There is, on the road, um, Tennessee's obviously not the same team. They don't score above 70 points on the road. Kentucky has a good defense, but the one thing that does scare me in this game is you watched the Georgia game last night. When Georgia was up and tied and staying in the game for most of the first half, is because they were whipping Kentucky to the rim. They were individually one-on-one whipping them to the rim. Kennedy Chandler is that dude that can do that and beat you guys off the bounce. And then if you start over-rotating, you either get your bigs in foul trouble or they hit the hammer action for corner threes. Tennessee can start whipping the cats, to the rim, hitting some threes. I think Tennessee wins this game. However, I'm going because it's at Rupp Arena. I've got the cats winning I think Kentucky pulls away late, similar to what we were talking about in the first game of the day uh, with Baylor and um, Texas Tech. I've got the Cats winning, uh, we'll say, 86-69. to 69. Is that the same thing you said, Corey? Maybe not. I thought he said pretty much the same thing. but um, So I'll go Cats winning late 87-69 on that one um, yeah so let's start wrapping this thing up let's do obviously everybody who's been around for the start of this we like to do a segment called shout outs basically give some love to players coaches teams programs etc cetera, etc cetera. so i'm going to do my three shout outs and if you guys have any by all means shout them out so my first shout out Ty Ty Washington Kentucky breaks John Wall's single se- or single game record at Kentucky 17 assists the other night against Georgia in his first True start at the point guard spot was unselfish creating shots for other teammates. 17 assists is no feat to laugh at. And then my other two are coaches, Jim Larenaga and Mike Woodson. What Larenaga is doing at Miami so far and what Woodson's doing at Indiana, nothing short of remarkable. So those are my three shout outs for the week.
1: Yeah. The uh, only shout out I have is uh, Adam Kunkel from Xavier. He was Awesome on Friday night. Um, I mean, Xavier was awesome overall, but he was the straw that stirred the drink. And uh, he was a great player at Belmont, transferred into Xavier last year. Um, he he hasn't been lighting it up this year by any means,
0: but um, that Xavier offense was running so smooth the other night, and uh, he was doing it all. Real quick, who do you think is the best transfer on Xavier's team this year, Conkle or Nunj? Oof. Probably overall Nunch, because like
1: I said, Kunkel, if you look at his stats, they're not going to blow you away, but on a given night, he, he can run the whole thing through him. Now, one thing I'll say about Nunch that I was really impressed with on Friday night, because I hadn't seen a ton of Xavier's games. He's so switchable on defense for a seven footer. Yep. I mean, he was, he was coming out and switching on pick and rolls um, and, and that gave them so much versatility
0: on defense. Completely agree. Corey, do you, have, by chance, have any shout-outs?
2: Yeah, I get one. It's uh, Trey Galloway from Indiana. Yeah, I'm already a Hoosier guy, so i got to sit there and give him a little love. But comes back from missing 10 games with a broken wrist injury that he had early on. Comes back against Ohio State. Just comes in at full speed. A lot of energy. Sits there and puts together a couple baskets when we need. And then sits there and comes in today against Minnesota and does the same exact thing. Uh, sits there and finishes around the rim. Sits there and just does the little hustle plays, everything to kind of set the game's tone. Sit there and give us a little bit of a pickup off the bench. I think he's going to sit there and continue to give more and more key minutes. Sit there and really just help out being back. Definitely Trey Galloway.
0: Yeah. And I need to correct myself from earlier and show for somebody else in the comments does when they listen to this. Um, I meant Trey Galloway earlier talking about the Hoosiers. And I said Trey Kaufman, who actually is red shirt at Purdue right now. That's a, a Freudian slip on my part. So, um, yeah,
2: don't be putting Purdue guys down there blowing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's my bad. That's my bad. Hey, but I really appreciate you guys uh, stepping in tonight, recording with me. I was a little sluggish, uh, so I really appreciate it. I thought there's been some great stuff, some great information, um, different viewpoints as well. It's always nice. You guys are both Big Ten guys, so it's nice to get some Big Ten love on here because a lot of times it's Big 12 with Cook on here, When he was on here, myself, the SEC, Peyton with the ACC. Um, We've had other people covering the ACC or the Big East. So it's nice to get some Big Ten action on here now. So I really appreciate that. Hopefully you guys will join me again um, for future episodes down the road. But before we get out of here, anything you guys want to plug? I know Corey, like I said, I know you're coaching college baseball. Phil, I know you got your stuff going on. So if you guys got anything to plug, now's the time to do it.
2: Go I was going to say, I was just going to throw out, you know, it's an absolute blast get on uh, being from Southern Indiana. I mean, basketball, you know, is uh, a big love. Uh, but, you know, switching over from the baseball world, uh, getting to talk a little basketball with you has been a blast. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's been an awesome time for sure. Uh, you know, anytime you ever need, like I said, I'm always on the road. I'm always sitting there and love to talk. Um, if you guys ever have baseball questions or anything like that, I do run Twitter spaces uh sit there and talk hitting talk recruiting all that stuff you know uh feel free but you know definitely uh, definitely love intertwining the world uh the whole, you know the world of uh, basketball the world of sports is something that's you know an absolute blast Gotta keep it alive for sure
0: hey yeah real quick um tell me that there's still hope that nick castellanos comes back because i'm a massive reds fan
2: uh, i'm a huge reds fan and i hate i absolutely hate it and I, you know and i sit there and I've done everything, and I was just up at the uh, American Baseball Coaches Association uh, convention with uh, uh, about four uh, coaches, and, you know, from all over the world and stuff. And you know, uh, there's couple Reds coaches there, and that that question came up. I hate to say, but,
0: you i always Yeah, I think he's got some reception issues right there. So, Phil, we'll go to you real quick and come back to Corey. Um, Phil, you got anything you want to plug or anything before we get out of here tonight? Well, first of all, I just want to
1: say thanks for the opportunity, man. Um, I love following all the posts in the group, listening to the podcast every week. So, uh, you know, like Corey said, I'm pretty much always around. Love to talk basketball anytime. Yeah. Um, and the only thing I got to plug is uh, my Twitter at NC Hoops Report. Um, just, you know, we cover mostly NC college basketball, a little bit of high school stuff, some recruiting, um, even some NBA, just basically anything basketball in North Carolina. So.
0: Well, there you guys, make sure you guys are going to follow on Corey for his baseball stuff. Make sure you're following Phil for his high school and college basketball stuff, especially if you're in the North Carolina area for the high school stuff and the recruiting stuff. We will have them back on um, as rotating guests here in the near future. But wrap it up, episode 95. Again, go back and check out the bonus episode with our adopted high school team, the Edmard Lancers follow them and our journey as we document them on their road to hopefully bring home a state title, This small town here in Indiana. But with that being said, I hope you guys enjoyed episode 95. And until next week, I've been Josh Burton. Thank you for listening and we will catch you down the road.